For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world, and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I pray that this time would be helpful. That thoughts would be connected and insights given. And more than that, faith would be stirred and grown and stretched. That understanding of who we are and how this world is would be brought into focus. And Holy Spirit, be at work. You are, and we bless that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, We live in extraordinarily uh, privileged times uh, because we have access to so much. In this this text, Paul is is reflecting upon wisdom, upon knowledge, upon what it means to be wise and foolish. And there's a tendency sometimes for us to look in the 21st century backwards and think, gosh, that was a period when they knew not. This uh, week I was in uh, the Christian Union, and um, 
in, uh, as you know, last week we talked about it, there was a guerrilla Christian event, and uh, Bronwyn and I were able to, to be in a classroom at lunchtime last week with about 28 uh, young people, half of whom were asking questions. It was great. One of the questions that was asked is, is uh, do you as a Christian believe that God, you only have an explanation for God for when science doesn't answer it? God of the gaps. That as we've increased our knowledge and our wisdom, then we say, well, we understand now this, and therefore God is pushed back. Isn't it true to say that as knowledge increases, God decreases? Good, great question. I said no, <laughs> for some good reasons. Paul, in this passage, draws us back to the heart of it. And it's just worth remembering in our day and age when there is so much information around that we come back to the cross. People who research these things say that if you were a a peasant um, living in the 10th century in Europe, uh, you would be exposed to a certain amount of information in the lifespan of maybe 40, 50 years in the 10th century of a whole lot of things. But that information that the one would have been exposed to then is roughly the same information as would be published in one edition of a daily newspaper today. Wow. If you were uh, to, uh, to, um, to try and keep up with what is published uh, and the information explosion that we are living in, it's exploding at such a rate. More than 2,000 pages a minute are printed. Ah, it's amazing. Uh, if you read for 24 hours a day from uh, the age of 21 to 70, I mean, that's all you did every day, every hour, every minute. And you were able to remember everything that you read for those 50 or so years. You would be one and a half million years behind when you finished. Gosh. Uh, that doesn't even take into account what you could find on the internet, just to encourage you. Why do I say this? Well, it's not a matter of an ever-increasing amount of what we know. I'm not saying, I'm not being anti-intellectual here. I am very much for, if you know me at all, very much for being deepened, for worshipping God with your mind, understanding and growing in your faith and deepening that. Yes, please do read. But don't fall into the mistake of thinking, well, it's just in the accumulation of that knowledge that my faith will grow. What's it all about? Paul here, into a culture which was steeped in all sorts of philosophy and thinking, said one thing is important, to know Jesus and particularly the message of the cross. He says it in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize. He's referring to an issue that Philip preached well on last week. But to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. A few years ago, I was was dwelling on this, and it struck me from a number of angles of how central the cross is for us. 
I know that uh, it's an easy thing to make, but, but very early on in, in the story of the church, the, the emblem, the, the motif of, of, of believers became the cross. It started off being uh, a fish that if you go to catacombs in Rome, they would often uh, engrave, scratch the fish as a symbol, as a secret code. And, and that was to do with a mnemonic for in Greek, the, the letters of the Greek word fish would also be Jesus Christ, God's son, Savior, ichthus. That's why sometimes you see uh, cars with a little fish on the back. It's an early Christian symbol. But very soon that got uh, replaced by the cross. And it has become universal. It's become emblematic of an expression of Christ's followers, of Christianity, of Jesus. Not only because of what it signified, but because it is so impressed, embossed into the Scriptures. And rightly so. In the Gospels, there's so much to learn about the ministry and teaching of Jesus, absolutely, and of how he did things and the words that he said and, and, uh, and prayer ministry and, and doing the things Jesus did and, and social concern, absolutely. But the Gospels all focus in, funnel towards Jesus saying, I'm heading to Jerusalem that the Son of Man should suffer and die. He should be arrested and betrayed and die upon the cross and be raised in three days. And again and again in the epistles that follow, so much good stuff to dwell upon. But at the heart of it, the heartbeat, so to speak, is the cross. We can't get away from it. A few years ago, as I was saying, I was, I was doing some, uh, stuff, some stuff. We were doing a, a young people's mission. We were, we were gathering. We did a little exercise with them. And, and it was saying, if, if someone says, why are you a, a why are you a Christian? Why are you a follower of Jesus? Uh, we, we did this little kind of thing where you, you kind of, could you say your story in 30 seconds a minute? You know, maybe just in that time when there's an openness to that question being asked. And the young people did a great job. All 15 of them were, were sort of uh, thinking about what they shared in, in their own way. And it was great because it was their living story, their own encounter with God. But as I listened to the half dozen or so, the dozen or so of the young people, suddenly aware that very few of them had actually mentioned in their testimony some appreciation of the cross of Jesus in their story. It wasn't that they didn't believe it. It wasn't that they were ignoring it. It wasn't that they had kind of moved on for it. But in some way, the cross didn't figure in that deep core conviction of what it was about. I was challenged at the same time in, in reflecting and listening to, to someone who I was kind of reading and, and reflecting on. And, and he, he posed the question, when and how often in churches, the church that you represent and lead and preach in, and it wasn't just to me, he was speaking, do you preach about the cross? And then he caveated that. And he said, not just in an evangelistic sermon. And there was a sort of pause he said, it's great and absolutely right that we speak of Jesus and the cross in those moments when we call people to come, repent and believe and become followers of Jesus. Absolutely. But he said, how often for the church do we reflect and consider and deepen our awareness of this most central aspect of faith? We never graduate from it, nor 
do we stray too far from? The cross. Indeed, Paul, at the end of, of chapter 1, says it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. In other words, Paul is drawing in a number of ways from, from so much of what was accomplished through Jesus. To become the righteousness of God, to become the holiness of God, and indeed to be redeemed. Some of the metaphors, the motifs of what the cross was about, the ex- enormity and breadth and magnitude Jesus dying on the cross for us and being raised to life. We do well to keep coming back to the cross. In these texts, he talks about this event being the manifold wisdom of God, the power of God, the strength of God. In contradiction and in shock horror to that of the world, which would seek to find wisdom and knowledge and power in signs in all sorts of places. He speaks of the universality of the cross. He said the the, the Gentiles look for wisdom and this hunger for knowledge to find what is truth, what is the meaning of life. And and if you know Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you'll come up with a number. Uh, There's all sorts of, of questions and answers to that very profound question. But it isn't found in the accumulation of libraries. And searching through Google to find the deepest thinkers, though that could be rewarding in some ways. Nor is it ultimately in posing that really great conundrum. Well, if God would just give me a sign. And God in his grace does graciously give signs. But we must recognize, we come back again and again. If you want to see the sign of God's intervention, look to the cross. Not in a simplistic, not in just a trite way, but deeply into that. One quote I remembered was, that's always stuck with me, and and I, I come back to it again and again, is the cross is the outward sign of humanity at its worst and God at his best. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The cross is so important. It's unique in history. Not that there weren't other people crucified. There were hundreds. But the crucifixion of this one person, Jesus Christ, This one who vexed and perplexed. Who spoke truth and confronted power and didn't do it for his own kind of uh, status to be elevated to some sort of emperor dominion and have everyone come and, and kind of pay homage like Caesar or the emperor or, or the way the world would do it. He chose a different way. He was blameless and emptied himself and willingly embraced the agony of the cross. But in so doing, in the wisdom of God and the power of God, confronting and upsetting the apple cart, that this was the unique expression of power that's effect is universal and through the scope of all creation and to every human being, unique in power 
and unique in effect. Unique in history. But so often, it does seem that Jesus is foolishness in the world's eye. Because sometimes it does pride itself in the cultural and the intellectual. But Paul, in the midst of that learning, and he was a greatly intelligent man, Peter comments in in his letter, you know, Paul writes some stuff and gosh, it's a bit head-scratching. I mean, that's a paraphrase of what he says. Paul was a smart man, able communicator of the gospel. But in amongst it, in the midst of all he shared is this truth. We preach Christ crucified. That Paul stood upon this truth and spoke of the cross. He spoke in the shock horror to these cultures about Jesus, this executed common criminal under the rule of Roman invaders on the provincial outpost on the far east of the empire. In the nobody and the no place and the backwater about this Jesus Christ who was raised to life after being horrifically killed and is now calling all people into a new kingdom. crazy message. Not an appeal to high culture, but news of the executed, brutalized criminal from a despised race. And it gets to the heart of it. I was, uh, occasionally I like to do a little bit of culture. It gives me, a, like, I feel good after doing a bit of culture, and it lasts for about six months. So I have some friends who are always visiting art galleries, and I go with them, and I'm so bored, I have to say, because they sit and they dwell on palm paintings. I go, yeah, it's nice, next. Uh, but occasionally I think that I have to just sort of, uh, you know, dwell upon art. And uh, I was wandering around this art gallery, and uh, this is a bit of name-dropping. I was looking at some Rubens. Yeah, I know genuine ones and everything. And um, I did the gallery in about half an hour, but I was, uh, you know, <laughs> I've seen them now. I've got, yeah, tick, no. Uh, they were beautiful, very impressive. But one of the things I've noticed again and again, and this is where our culture has shifted, is that so much of these amazing artists, the Michelangelos and the, uh, the Rubens and the Rembrandts, aren't you impressed? So much of their art, not entirely, but so much, has Jesus in it, that some of their epic works are around the passion of Christ, that they understood and were communicating in their own way, preaching, if you like, through art, to say this is the central moment. This event of this nobody from the backwater of Palestine, crucified among dozens on a rubbish stump outside Jerusalem has become the focal point of history, of culture, and of life. For Jews, it was scandalous. That means something that would trip you up. Paul is keen that we tell the story about the power of God. There are lots of things we could say 
and many of them are good. But let us not forget the cross. Let us not forget to tell of the cross, to love the cross, to come back to the cross and the resurrection, to dwell and meditate and reflect deeply. And it's an uncomfortable place. Because it exposes our worst. It strips away all the pretense of being wise or of, of coming with any, anything, any merit, any kind of self-satisfaction. Of, of, of actually recognizing here as God in Jesus Christ is crucified and dies and his blood is poured out. The rescue, the redemption, the refuge, the resolution of conflict. It's the power of God. There's power in that story. I don't know if you've ever crossed, come across the Jesus film. Uh, it's, it's a film that um, is, has been produced. And I remember being on a trip with the young people back in 2010. We went to, to Kenya to an orphanage. And one of the evenings, we, we managed to, to get hold of an old projector. And we hung a white sheet at the front of this hut. And we projected with this funny little sound system the story of Jesus in film. There are a number of depictions, but this is, this is one that is particularly fruitful. And it's been translated. I, I just looked on, on their website uh, this week. The Jesus film has been translated into 1,834 languages. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because it tells the story of Jesus and it comes towards the cross. I think it's derived from Mark's gospel and, and there's not much. It talks about the resurrection at the end, but it kind of finishes. And then, and then there's, there's an, an opportunity for people to respond to the power of that story. I don't know quite how they, they, they gather these figures, but they say they've had a global audience of more than 8 billion who've seen that film. Wow. Uh, and uh, they've indicated decisions for Christ following it of more than half a billion people. Astonishing. It's not accompanied by preaching or, or anything like that, but it tells the story and focuses upon the cross because the cross is powerful. And scandalous but powerful. The Paul, when he would uh, travel, he went to synagogues and into temples and, and to market halls or indeed in any place and, and without clever tricks or manipulation, he would speak of the cross and say, this has power and it has effect. He doesn't try and teach them clever ideas or, or philosophies or use uh, the human rhetorical devices that many great orators of the time, the, the, the Plato's and the, the, the Socrates and, and all those others. He doesn't use theatrical staging. He preaches Christ crucified, God's power. And declares besides which all human power looks weak. It's a salutary reminder to us, sister and brother, against God's power, evidence, demonstrated, testified in the cross. Our power is just weak. Where are you going to put your trust? 
I mean, I was just reflecting, and, and this may sound a little bit trite, but I was watching some news yesterday about Storm Dennis and last week's storm. Was it Celia? Kira, thank you. We struggle against these storms. Understandably, flights get cancelled and, and roads are blocked by fallen trees and rivers overflow and the army is called out because of a storm. How much more the power of God in Christ Jesus. Think of the, the atomic bomb or, or DNA sequencing or, or artificial defibrillation. Wonderful uh, things that we have have worked out and have cracked and, and used sometimes for good of space rockets. Powerful innovation. Great stuff. But none of it can raise the dead back to life. None of it. I mean, a defibrillator, it, it just in those few moments, in, as, as uh, someone may be, be struggling with a heart attack to come back, but not someone three days dead and decaying. Yeah, the power of God does. In comparison, how weak are we? And yet so often we can think we are strong. That this dead Jesus, crucified, was raised and has conquered death and is living for eternity. Amazing. God's wisdom, besides which when we consider all human learning looks folly. I mean, we, we have come up with some great things. Don't hear me, as, as I said before, as being anti-intellectual and of, of, of saying we should just not learn or any of those things. Early intervention, great. Of the law, of, of, great, uh, of great insights, being gleaned, we, we live as recipients in the 21st century of so much. But when we consider it against God's wisdom, we realize how great it is. That law and intervention and education can't, doesn't change the human heart. It really struggles in the prevent strategy of, of how, do we, how do we change this? It shouldn't be like this again and again. Haven't we evolved past this? These basic desires that seem for, to forever and ever be tripping up society. And if we're brutally honest about ourselves, because it comes from within. Anger and hatred. Self-centeredness of I want more. I'm better than you. Yet here in Jesus, the wisdom of God is revealed. Of God at work to transform hearts and lives, to bring hope and life and perspective. Now just look around you. As you see, sister and brother gathered, living testimonies, testaments to the power of God. What can God do in a life, in a world, in you? Are, you? are you desperate for a change? 
for transformation? Are you trying to find how best to do it? Come back to Jesus. Come back to him. The power of God and the wisdom of God manifest. Who is able in his power and wisdom to reshape your life entirely? This is the good news that Paul draws us back to. As I, as I spoke a couple of weeks ago, and, and Phil was, was uh, outworking the impact of that about how church functions, that as Paul goes on to some of the challenges in the church at the Corinth, he draws us back to Christ, to the crucifixion and resurrection. The good news is about God dying on the rubbish heap and raised to life. See, the true God in Christ confronts the world's Posturing and power and prestige. Overthrowing all of the institutions. And to establish this new kingdom. Which will never fail. Do you know what? The weak and the foolish are welcome. I mean, I'm in. (laughs) Through Jesus. And even the wise and the complicated and the powerful, they're welcome too through Jesus. It's not simply about those with many or access or birthright or power or the inset. The scope of this is for all. And in that, draws us together and provides the unity and the basis and the bedrock of Christ Jesus for all that would stem forward. For everything we understand about our relationship together as a church. For how we are to be expressing our faith outwards to a watching world. Paul writes to the church in Rome in in chapter 1 and and he he says this uh, at verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God through, uh, um, that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then for the Gentile. He's not ashamed. May we not be. Allow the power of Christ, the cross, to keep testifying. See, if we tell people that Jesus will improve their lives, will help them get rich or grant success or, or make them happy, we're not telling them the whole truth. That the cross is brutally real. Because, it, yes, it speaks of the enormity of God's love, but it also speaks of the why was he there? Why did he choose to willingly suffer and die on behalf of of the world because of the deep-rooted problem that no one could fix in old parlance sin that he dealt with to bring victory that the consequence and cycle of death and alienation and separation he intervened and brings life that the cross speaks of darkness as well as glorious light You see, Paul is not ashamed and preaches Christ crucified because it forces the wise to ultimately admit they hadn't got it right. That outside this truth, it's shadows and mirrors and delusion. But through the cross and the power of God at work, things change, lives change, situations change. 
hearts change. The world is changed. A book I'm going to read shortly, and, and I, I hope, uh, I don't know if any one of you has read it. It's by Tom Holland called Dominion. It was released back in September. Uh, one of the, the reviews says about this historian's take, he says, Christianity is the most enduring and influential legacy of the ancient world. And its emergence, the single most transformative development in Western history. Even the increasing number in the West today who have abandoned the faith of their forebears, dismiss all religion as pointless superstition, remain recognizably its heirs. Seen close up, the division between a skeptic and a believer may seem unbridgeable. Widen the focus, though, and Christianity's enduring impact upon the West can be seen in the emergence of much that is traditionally being cast as its nemesis in science secularism, and yes, even in atheism. That moment, as Paul preaches in southern Greece, as he visited Athens, as he journeyed on to Rome, and all points in between, the message of the cross is foolishness on one hand, but it's the power and the wisdom of And through it, things change. Lives change. Situations change. Heart is changed. Mind is changed. And through those individuals, our world is changed. Let's pray.